Hello, folks, and welcome back to Whose Filmography Is It Anyway, where the points are just like women in a Christopher Nolan movie. I'm your host, Joshua Page, and with me, as always, my co-host and friend, Stephen Molina. Oh, hello, everyone. We did it. We, uh, we made it. We made it. It was a uh, touch and go there for a while, but we made it. Stephen, I, didn't, I wasn't so sure with these last few that we were going to make it, but I, I looked... I mean, uh, just to give a little behind-the-scenes information there was a point uh i think by the time we hit like inception our minds were just starting to melt absolutely from all this nolan goodness yes and we knew some badness but goodness mostly we knew that we were pulling along the seas and we looked along the shore and we went across the mighty battle and we knew that uh as we lead to reach our victory that we'd hear winston churchill's speech in our head and at the by the time we hit Dunkirk, we saw it. We home. saw it. We saw home. Uh, although the speech in my mind was uh, as told by uh, Michael Caine. It was Michael Caine's voice, not uh, Gary Oldman for the record. I feel like uh, it's too. It's probably too late now. But uh, Michael Caine as Winston Churchill would have been an interesting portrayal. It could have been an interesting choice. Um, I loved Gary Oldman's performance uh, in that film, The Darkest Hour, but. Um, I just feel like uh, at some point, Michael Caine became our uh, guardian angel. He kind of just guided yeah. us along the way. <laughs> I mean, Gary Oldman won that Oscar for the role. So. He, he won that Oscar, though. Um, so, yes, we've reached the end of our first uh, milestone, our first topic, uh, the old your boy, Christopher Nolan. Um, the old it. bean. The old bean. We flicked the old bean and... <laughs> <laughs> I was going with uh, British slang, but you went right for the bowl. <laughs> you uh, went right for the right. bean. We can scratch that for the record. Um, we're going to um, do a little fun segment, if for no one but ourselves. We've created our own little uh, awards ceremony as a send-off for Nolan, and we're going to dive into our takeaways from this, and we're going to pack it off until uh, until Tenant. So. You know, Josh and I thought it'd be fun to come up with a couple fun awards. Then we're going to do the promised rankings. And then we'll do our final, final thoughts on Nolan. Go for it. The first award is for worst performance. Go for it, Josh. Who's right. the worst actor or actress, in uh, your opinion, in all of Nolan's filmography? Um, so this may come off like a cheap shot, but it's also, and I'm going to explain, so the, the the person that most came to mind, and I wish it wasn't, but it is, is uh, as I have Marion Cotillard in the, the Dark Knight Rises, <laughs> um, and I I don't want to knock her because I think she's a beautiful, wonderful actress. And not only that is that no one's treatment of women is not always the best. He he uses them often as plot devices, but and she's a wonderful actress. Um, in Inception, she's wonderful, and just it's I guess it's more of the writing, but her performance in that movie stands out among Nolan's career because she's kind of comes out of nowhere. Uh, she kind of interjects herself in. I don't know why I'm supposed to care about her. She becomes a love interest very quickly. And then she Liter becomes, real quickly uh, like, and literally out of nowhere. And then she becomes a plot twist villain very qu even quicker. And I'm just don't buy any of it. Um, it's, I just feel like she's even, she's not kind of uh, giving it her all. I just feel like it's a kind of reading a script. Um, I'm sure there are, I mean, of course, there's got to be worst performances, but of the ones that stood out, I mean, she stood out to me um, 
you know, there's probably people I could have thought of here and there, but that was the one. No, I definitely thought about her when uh, we were, when I was coming up with my picks. I didn't want to go with her, but that's the one that came to mind the most. I have two. One of them is kind of just like not even really a character. I don't even know the character's name. I just have to mention that kid in The Dark Knight Rises the that we mentioned. Kid? No, the orphan kid who finds out his brother died uh. and literally gives no um, emotion at all. He's literally just drawing <laughs> bat symbols into the fucking bench. I already forgot about that. <laughs> again, that's not my choice. It's just I had to mention him again because that was awful. Oh, man, five stars that little kid. My real pick is probably is Katie Holmes from Batman Begins. Oh, that's good. She, uh, you could tell what the character was supposed to be from, uh, what's it called, from Maggie Gyllenhaal and how wrong Katie Holmes was for the original role. Um, she did not emote the strength that she needed to. She did not come off as intelligent as she needed to. She just like kind of, like you said, in most Nolan movies, women are like just plot devices. But in this movie, I feel like he was trying to get more out of her and it just didn't come to the surface. There's no true depth to her performance at all. Um, in, in a sense that you're, as you're saying it, it almost sounds like the opposite of what Marianne Cotillard did because she's a great actress who was given kind of poor material where Katie Holmes is kind of just like a, a like a bland actress with with pretty good material you know I what think, I mean uh, Katie Holmes can be a good actress maybe yeah not, maybe not in film but on Broadway she's supposed to be good he's yeah I mean I, she could play the part she needs so I mean I really I haven't seen her much beyond Dawson's Creek, but I mean, just from what I've seen. And I've never actually seen Dawson's Creek. Robert's a big fan. And, and I I've think never she, seen her on Bidway, but I I'm heard she's a good Bidway actress. <laughs> um, it's very interesting. I mean, it's no, no disrespect to the women. You know, they, they, they really, they try and, you know. I'm actually shocked at your pick a little bit, just to backtrack. I really thought you were going <laughs> to go with uh, Anne Hathaway and in Dark Knight Rises? You know, I, as much as I have a disdain for that woman, even though I'm, you know, I mean, I, I think she can act and I, you know, I just, I don't know. I, she I have half a hate. Yeah, I thought about it, but it would, see, it would feel biased. It would feel too personal because she took the role that she was given and she was kind of like, she kind of just ran with it. Like, even though I didn't like her performance or the character really, I still bought it where I guess Marion Cotillard, like she, you could tell she was trying it. It was just like, I never, it was every time she was on screen, I was kind of just not. Fair enough. Good. I'm at, I, we didn't even mention this during the Dark Knight Rises podcast, but I'm actually excited for uh, Zoe Kravitz to take on the mantle of Catwoman. Oh, that's right. I forgot that was happening. Yeah. I'm, I'm very curious because I like Zoe Kravitz. She's a good actress. She's a very good actress. That's going to be in the uh, Robert, Robert the Batson. The Battinson universe. The Battinson universe. That's cool. That whole cast, whatever, who the people they say they have lined up, that sounds very promising. Yeah, but, they, they picked a lot of uh, Warner Brothers people. Like Colin Farrell is coming back. Like both of them were in Fantastic Beast movies, him and Zoe Kravitz. Uh, uh, he's going to be Penguin. You know, Paul Dano is the Paul Dano is the Riddler. That's cool. I love that. Interesting, you know, interesting choices. <laughs> All right, let's move uh, on to the next award. All right, so we have best cameo or small role. 
Um, I didn't think about this until I had said it to you, or I realized that there's actually quite a few choices here I could have gone with. Yeah, I wrote uh, down a couple. Uh, I didn't write down the runner-ups. I'm going to stick to my guns and say uh, the one and only David Bowie and the Prestige. Oh, that was definitely up there for me. That's, yeah. that's a good one. I just, uh, that, that man, he, I don't know. Like we said it during that, the Prestige podcast, but he he turned the dialogue into like, it just felt like poetry when he would speak. He just does what David Bowie did best. You know, he just turned, he just made everything his own. And it was just, I don't know. He spoke with such, uh, such grace and such a fabulous. I was, I was, it was fabulous. I was really sw- swept off my feet. I don't want to say he steals the movie because uh, Christian Bale and Hugh Jackman are both phenomenal in it. But yeah. when he's on screen, he, he just like has this magnetism literally like and he pr- this is not an award but he definitely has the best entrance in any nolan movie oh my god with the um with the, the electric electricity, the electricity walks, all walks around through him. the electricity all around him it's incredible uh, uh, that's good I, again that's not an award i'm just you know if that was an award he would have won best entrance in hindsight character entrance would have been a cool award because i you think about the joker and bane and all these characters for my best cameo or small role i went with tom wilkinson as falcone in batman begins oh my man that guy is just chewing up the scenery like he begs like a dog, like a dog. <laughs> it's amazing <laughs> he really does kill like, it if this one thing I love, it's when an actor chews up the scenery and it's like, this is my fucking moment. You're the and, camera's yeah. going to be on me. And he, he does really, it tenfold. It's amazing. For being a crime boss, he really like nails whatever it is he was given. Because, uh, yeah, that's good. I, I, I considered him, but I, oh, yeah, chewing up the scene is a good way of putting it. So uh, let's go to the next award. Best um, ending. I yes. feel like you and I are probably going to have the same answer on this one i don't know about this one actually i'm curious i actually want you to go first all right for my best ending i'm gonna go with inception simply because 10 years later we're we're still talking about it it's one of those endings that just never lets you go because you're constantly questioning what is real what is not it's it's definitely his most open-ended edit ending absolutely i mean just because he chose the final frames he did i mean we've talked about the endings in terms of like even interstellar you're talking like we've when we debated it's just like you know he has this this big story culmination with his character with the two the two characters and how it may or may not have really turned out uh, the way you thought but it really is just him taking off he goes to find Anne hathaway and it's just very it's a very quick ending and as much as i love interstellar it's a it's an abrupt ending and not necessarily in the best way no this is an open-ended ending that is warranted and it's also just so engaging because if i remember you walk away from the movie theater with your friends and the first question you guys are talking about is wait is he still in reality like what's going on you know it's one of those it's just an ending that grips you it's an age-old debate, and it's and it's one that you can debate until the end of time because it almost doesn't matter because whatever the outcome, it will drastically change the story. But the whole point of him leaving it open-ended is for the exact reason that you and I are literally talking about it ten years later, like you said. Yeah. Um, so that's my choice. What about you? I actually went with Memento on this one. Okay. So so again, an abrupt ending. 
but the whole idea of the story looping, um, the fact that that movie ends Where chronologically, <laughs> well, it's, it's really in the middle of the story. The ending, if you watch the chronological narrative, it really, it's in the middle. It's completely, you know, he has, everything happens the same way. Um, no, but with, in context of the movie, it ends where literally where it began. It yeah no exactly. Um, well, actually no different. Where the where the timelines meet is 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 in, is in the middle, but it feels like it it ends where it begins. But the fact that you realize you're in this loop, and that the timelines are getting closer and closer. Once there's this reveal, it's kind of like, even though you know it's uh, coming. We've talked about this when we talked about the Memento podcast of the. Um, the idea of that impact hitting you the first time because it's like just this big pulling the rug from underneath you that, you know, we said, you know, may or may not lose its effect with multiple viewings. But that whole idea of it, the story coming to culmination and just as it's just revealed and you're like, holy shit, what's happening? And all of a sudden it's just, he pulls up in front of the tattoo shop and just says, wait, where am I? He comes to the conclusion, hey, this is how I want to live the rest of my life, looking for a man that is no longer in existence. And Right. And I love that he has this big monologue while he's driving, notable, first notable bad driver, um, <laughs> which was, uh, we thought would be a runner-up for the categories. Um, but as he's revealing this, in the, you're kind of like jaw-dropped. He has this moment where all of a sudden it resets for him. He stops in front of the tattoo shop and he says, wait, how did I get here? Or he says, where am I? He ends with a question and he looks and it cuts to black and all of a sudden you're like, shit, this is just going to loop for him forever. It's kind of like a moment that resonates with you. Um, I mean, I ultimately think as far as ambiguity goes and open-endedness goes, of course, uh, Inception is the better ending. But that ending for me, Memento, just, it just hits different for me. Um, best Hans Zimmer score. Um, I will say, just because <laughs> the two I was debating, um, <laughs> Oh, God. So the runner-up... This one was probably the hardest for me. All right. You know what? Because I'm thinking about it now. But no, here's... I'm going to stick with my guns. All right. So... Today, Junior. (laughs) Insert that audio clip. (laughs) So, yes, this was difficult. And I think that as the runner-ups, I'll say, were basically a tie between The Dark Knight and Interstellar. Because The Dark Knight... It has this well it's really batman begins which begin which had the iconic um i don't know the names he had these the fancy names, the bad names. but the when the horns come in when he's in the tumbler for the first time you hear the music but dark knight actually takes the score further even with just joker's score because of that one note that they stretch out um uh, dark knight's the more iconic movie there's the soundtrack is very similar to batman begins but i know they have a little extra um and then interstellar I mean, just because of how different it was um, and with the organs and then the clock when they're on the, the ocean planet and all that um, and how emotionally that hits me. Just uh, with music making you feel emotion. And that's part of my crutch for Interstellar because I love that movie so much. But part of my love for that movie is how emotional I get when I hear Hans Zimmer's score. Of course, the winner, though, I had to say was Inception. I, we have the same winner. Uh, <laughs> all right. We have our first matchup. Um, I really just feel like those horns, uh, the the bombs, the trailer sound. But I don't you, think it's uh, I don't think it's overstating by saying that this movie's music changed movie music or at least trailer music absolutely. forever. I I just went simply with all right, what soundtrack of no of uh, Hans Zimmer's in Nolan work 
do I listen to the most? And it comes down to Inception. Inception is by and large the one I go to the most. Um, even the individual tracks, not just the trailer. Um, I think it's, I don't know if it's, Mombasa? I don't know if, the, I don't know if the, the, the dream is collapsing. I think it's the oh, one. With the, the one. You know, that one's really good. But even Mind Heist, I think might've been one of them. Mombasa, um, Time is great. Right, that's the one uh, at Time. Time is the one at the end, right? When he sees the Yeah, that's the very last one. The plane. And that's talking about feeling emotional, hearing music, um, almost as much as Interstellar, like that score just, it gives me chills. Like it gives me actual goosebumps when the horns blare, like it's a feeling I can't describe. Um, and it is, I think, some of Hans Zimmer's flat out best work. Uh, the next one I got is most notable Nolan humor. Uh, you know, we've mentioned multiple times throughout this uh, podcast, just you know, Nolan's humor and how it is not very humorful. <laughs> not very present at all. Not so very when present. it does show up, it's you have to make a note of it. <laughs> so I will I I have a runner up and the runner up is uh Tars from uh Interstellar actually. That's good. <laughs> Simply because they make a note multiple times about Tars's humor settings and that's just like pretty funny to me. Overall, I went with something completely that's like, it wasn't a joke in Nolan's movies, but I think Nolan is just trolling us with it. I went with Bane's mask voice. I think that it's just like, arguably the funniest thing that he's ever done. Because how many terrible, like, ripoffs have you heard about from uh, this Bane mask? You know, I could... The South Park episode in of itself is hilarious because there's a whole Bane subplot uh, with the mask it's just um, ridiculous what he did with it if the if not absurd in the movie itself because i like i said we said on the dark night rises podcast that i don't feel less bothered by it if not in the voice itself in what in the lampoons and satire that it inspired that's kind of yeah, where i went that's kind of why i chose it like I mean, it's something that universally was mocked from the moment the movie came out it's just a it's just a troll I feel like from Nolan. I feel like Nolan is trolling us with this voice and it just took on a life of its own after the movie came out. It has definitely evolved beyond the movie. That's a good choice. What's your choice? Um so my runner up uh my runner up which would have been the winner but it's like a very intentional moment I feel. Maybe not intentionally funny but intentionally shocking um was the pencil trick in the dark knight. Um I Magic just, trick. I, that's one of those, absolutely. We, I, that's one of those moments when you and I've talked about the theatrical experience. We talked about it, I don't know if it was on air. We talked about it last week, how the idea of experiencing a crowd is something that can often be unforgettable. And I remember seeing that in the theaters and that moment happened where um, when Heath Ledger bashes the guy's head into the table and the pencil's gone and the whole theater at once was just kind of like, Oh, like you just feel it. Like they were just like, it was just a audible gasp. Like it was an audible sound that came from most of the theater. And that's how I feel watching where like, I just think it's funny because like, it's just this very quick moment. That's just, I can't help but just laugh at it. And that's, so the Joker had the best joke is what you're saying. Uh, that would, that was my runner up. Oh, the super runner up. Okay. But uh, uh... the Joker would have had the best joke. I still have to go with, Christian Bale drunkenly ranting at his birthday party in Batman uh, Begins. That's a good one. That's um, good. I do love, uh, you know, that the is look ridiculous. Of, all you phonies. Uh, again, it's more intentional, but it's more, uh, hey, and just the way he mocks them 
and he's just they're all just disgusted with him he's like oh you have two-faced phonies he's like stop smiling it's not a joke please go and it just it cracks me up every time so we were moving on to our final award um the best nolan trope um i have two of them um uh, i'll say the runner-up is the use of time and or clocks the man references time and or clocks in i think every single movie he's done i don't know how prevalent it is in something like the dark knight rises where i mean yeah there's like time in the literal sense there oh the police are trapped underground how long is this going to take but he has this obsession with time and manipulating it um it's something present it's something that is just that's that's my real answer i have a couple runner-ups but that's like the real answer i was gonna I think give that's the real answer for just in general he's just it's too on the nose but so that's why i have uh another answer i said um the trope of the disturbed or obsessed morally conflicted male protagonist who behaves very dramatically and is not always the best driver that's good no that's good no that's uh sticking to my guns no that's astute because it you're right most of his <laughs> protagonists it's people who are obsessed and driven by their obsession for my nolan tropes you gave away my actual answer time i'm so sorry no it's fine but time is literally in all of his movies down to in the soundtrack of most of them literally there's a clock in some of them but some other nolan tropes i had to throw in there um magic tricks because there's magic tricks in literally every single one of them blind blind men oh yeah the blind men father-in-laws he does love those father-in-laws he does love those wise father-in-laws um (laughs) keeping his characters covid friendly oh yeah rubber gloves lots of rubber gloves lots of rubber gloves (laughs) and finally the biggest trope that we've noted the that people just should not be driving most of his characters should not be driving what are you doing (laughs) oh it's a good thing he's you know able to use the money to for the car stunt choreography and whatever car accidents or things happening but even down to uh guy pierce driving around memento with that kind of memory good grief all literally all of them following there's no driving but memento that guy should not be driving insomnia (laughs) we see uh al pacino's character should not be driving like especially in the insomniatic fever that he's in (laughs) <laughs> then you get to Batman Begins. <sighs> Batman is literally driving as he's destroying the city. Maybe he shouldn't be driving. Uh, Inception. The guy's literally driving backwards off a bridge. There's <laughs> <laughs> a lot of chaotic driving in these movies. It's a lot. Really drives the scenes. I think that's good. That's, that's a quality answer. It'd be great to get Nolan's take on that. I feel like he wouldn't even notice that. He probably that wouldn't. I would love to see someone bring him. Like, How do you feel about your characters being terrible drivers in your films? And he'd just sit there puzzled and be like, oh, I've never even noticed. <laughs> <laughs> Mr. Nolan, do you realize that not a single one of your female characters has really had a strong, strong present characteristic in leading roles? I'm sorry, guys. No, that's sure, a sure. good trope to mention too. His <laughs> weak char- his weak female characters is not I mean, a good trope, but it is a trope nonetheless. I, I mean, that's the only reason I picked uh, Marion Cotillard. I feel bad about it, but I mean, it's just come on, man. I would love to see a Nolan movie with a female protagonist. Me too, but I 
don't think we're going to get it in Tenant. <laughs> no, no, no. I'm glad they're giving uh, Washington Jr. a chance. but Well, I'm happy about that, too, given the fact that Black characters are often neglected in his movies. I was going to say, I don't think he's... I think all of his protagonists have been white, white males. Yeah, but we mentioned it in a couple of his movies. You know, Dunkirk, there's not a single Black man which doesn't ring true. I, there are black people in Britain. There were black soldiers during the war. I don't you know. know how true that was during Dunkirk, though. I'd have to look that up. Uh, Interstellar, we noted, on Cooper Station, there was not a single black person. Uh, there was the one guy who turned old. Romilly, he was on the voyage. I'm just talking about in Cooper Station, like at the end. Like oh, the oh, plate, oh, oh, The sorry. station that, Coop, that uh, Murphy built. Yeah. Not a single black person is seen. Yeah, you know, yeah. it's just, again, not a good trope to have, but it just seems to be a trope that yeah. keeps, uh, you know, not popping up, I guess. Let's get to the rankings. Um, so uh, let me explain how we're going to go through this. So I'm going to give my 10 through 6. Josh will give his 10 through 6. I'll give my 5 through 2. Josh will give his 5 through 2, and we'll both reveal our number ones. All right, cool. Cool. Uh, I'm ready for this. Um, please, I'm hold. excited to hear your list. Please this hold. Is, I'm, I'm, sure, uh, I'm eager to hear yours. Um, please hold your applause and or gasps and or judgmental comments. Please yeah. just save them. Wait till we, I, or not. You know, I mean, I don't care what the people do, but it's also, you know, I just try, hear us out. You know what I mean? We. Yeah, my list is probably not going to get me any uh, friends on this one. Uh, okay. Um, I'm ready for it. All right. For my number 10, I went with The Dark Knight Rises. Surprise, surprise. Surprise, surprise. Anyone who heard that podcast, I'm sure, is flabbergasted by my choice of The Dark Knight Rises. Even is a big fan of The Dark Knight Rises. Again, we don't need to, uh, The point of this is not to relitigate not, everything. Yeah, because not going we're not going into the movies. If you want to talk here about how we feel about the movies, go listen to the individual podcasts. Just to sum it up in two sentences or less, I think this movie is just a complete mess. It's all over the place tonally, and it leaves the world of reality into the world of the 1966 Batman and uh, bombs in Gotham. Uh, at number nine, I have Following. Not a bad movie. No, of course not. It's just, we've, we noted it in the podcast, it's just a very cheap, student film kind of movie and it's not that again it's not that it's bad it's just you know it doesn't have the production value of the rest of them mm -hmm. and let's be real the acting isn't as up to par as some of the other movies oh, uh tisk, tisk. Tisk, tisk. my number eight this is where you're gonna get mad interstellar okay all right ebert let's go come on i'm listening no nah, again we're not i'm not i'm not relitigating it I just, the movie doesn't hit for me. But the only thing it has going for it is the visual effects. Number seven, I'm going to go with Memento. All right. I think that the editing for the first time viewing will floor you. It gets kind of exhausting after several viewings. And when you pick up on it, it's just, I get it. Okay, let's move on. Uh, at number six, I have... Uh, insomnia. This was a hard 
choice to put it number six because I do really love the movie. It's a true sleeper. It's the definition of a sleeper. It, I, exactly. That's what I was about to say. It is a true sleeper, which is ironic given that it's, cool. it's about insomnia. <laughs> but uh, I actually really like the movie. That yeah, it's, it's, good. it's really good. It's just it didn't hit as hard as the ones above it. All right, that's Josh. Good. So that's your 10 through 6. That's my 10 through 6. Um, sounds to me like, uh, and we'll save our final thoughts, because I have some thoughts about your rankings already, which we're, we'll talk about after, but it sounds um, like you're going more of a, a, a critically based. Um, no, I'm going with how I feel about the movie, not necessarily how critics feel about the movie. This is how the order of which I would want to watch the movies again. I feel like... Uh, this is going reverse order of the Rotten Tomato scale, is what I'm saying. Oh, but well, well, uh, we can pull up. Also, we don't we don't live by the tomato people. But no, I didn't even look <laughs> up the tomato meter. Honestly, as I'm sure people have noticed by now, I don't do this intentionally, but my feelings usually coincide with those of critics. As I've gotten older, it's happened that way because I got to be and I, and we'll talk about all this after because I've even done mine, but. Um, uh, that was my my biggest gripe with this whole list is I I wrote it out and I was like cool this is how I feel about like my favorite to my least favorite and I was like this doesn't work because some of the ones that made me my least favorite I'm gonna get I'm saying this to preface why because I'm gonna explain but some of the ones that maybe aren't my favorite are in my opinion objectively just the better films and so that's why I it's my <laughs> I'll probably more of a a fan friendly list. Um, <laughs> You'll understand. So I'll just I'll get right. I'll understand. You go uh, for it. But that's my preface, and you'll understand why. So at number ten, I have following. Okay. It was gonna be the Dark Knight Rises. Spoiler alert. But following, it's ambitious, especially because it feels like a student film, but it also feels like a like student, a student film. film. Yeah. And that's like you said. It's not that it's bad. It's just it's his cheapest, low budget, most low budget. Uh, the you know not notable acting it's a it's a great storyline and i like that it came from his real uh from a real life event that happened to him but it just doesn't really pull me out uh pull me into the experience the way that uh the others do um the only reason i have dark knight rises at number nine is because everything that happens i think before that before christian bale before bruce leaves the hole and the whole movie. I mean, it's really after the football game. It's actually, I, I, there's a point, but that's the point. When he gets out of the hole, the whole plot kind of just falls apart. So it's like, but I can dis, I can dismiss the things I don't like before. Like like you said, to hear details, you can hear the whole rant on the Dark Knight Rises episode. But the stunts, um, the action sequences, uh, the, the score, the cinematography, I mean, just the, the atmosphere of that movie. I, I love the snowy white colors um it's just hard because that movie gets so bogged down by its problematic uh aspects um, yeah it holds on longer for you than it does for me because it, it falls does. apart for me during bane and batman's fight as soon as those tumblers come crashing down from the ceiling of their fight like from the sewers that's when it all comes crumbling down to me well like i and, and like i said when we were recording that that fight is where the movie peaks for me like i could turn off the movie at that scene when Batman gets his back broken, I could be like, okay, I've seen enough of, of great film f filmmaking here. 
That's what I'm um, saying. At that point, that's when I top when I tap out, and there's another like hour forty at the, at that point. It's it, that's the thing. It's bloated, and again, not going into the details or feelings because we have a whole <laughs> however long episode of that. Um, so this was a little tricky, and this is where I'm going to stir up some controversy. Um, so my number eight was insomnia, and I I had it higher, but. I love it, and I think ultimately I hold on to how good Robin Williams is in that movie. And I really am kind of just looking back. I love the plot. It's interesting that uh, Robin Williams is your savior in that movie, because for me, it's Pacino. I was going to say, it's not really... Pacino just feels... I mean, he's not Irishman angry yelling, but it still feels a little like he's... And I get it. He's supposed to be tired the whole... Literally tired the whole movie but it didn't feel like Pacino at his best. It always felt kind of like he was, I don't know. I feel like Pacino wasn't as into it as he's been in other movies, but it's also hard to gauge because he's got how much of a career behind him. So I'm not trying to compare. Um, he's he's great. He's good. And sometimes he's great. And Hilary Swank's fine. And the story is really good. And I love the moody upstate atmosphere. It's awesome. But Robin Williams really holds it together for me. I have a special uh, place for that man in my heart. Um, but just his delivery of that. And, the, and I, love, it's, I love that movie because of the dynamic. It's the first time you see a true dynamic between two characters, the way you'd later see it, the prestige. But I feel like they were still like getting their, their footing off the ground with how they wanted to shoot things. It's, it felt like a very, uh, I don't know if I want to say like mid-budget, but it was just very, I think we had said that it was a lower, or it was... It was $40 million budget. Yeah. This, everything, everything I'm going to say from here on out until number one is just going to kill me. But... Um, um, cause I'll get to it anyway. So despite what we said last episode, I have Dunkirk as number seven. Oh, wow. And I wow. actually think Dunkirk is maybe Nolan's objectively one of his, probably his like best filmed movie in terms of like, and what I mean by that is terms of cinematography, score, acting, pacing, editing, like that movie is like almost flawless, but and it's a shame because like Dunkirk is one of the best war movies I think I've ever seen in my life. I think it's one of the most creative war movies we'll ever get. I think you're talking to yourself out of this place. Uh, no, well, uh, hang on, hang on there. But it's, there's a Nolan pizzazz that I admittedly buy into when I watch these movies, the silliness of it, uh, the whole creative, colorful world. And what happened is, is Nolan tried to ad- no, he didn't try. He succeeded with Flying Colors. He adapted a war, a real historical, uh, historic event. And so what he did is he did kudos because he added his own tropes and his own style. And yet, like, it still doesn't have, and other people will say this is why it's probably one of his best. It doesn't have a lot of that Nolan uh, jazz to it that exists in almost all of his other movies. So it's not even the movie itself. It's that it just lacks what other Nolan movies have, even The Dark Knight Rises. But I mean, of course, Dunkirk's better than Dark Knight Rises. But because um, I have a lot of thought, this can be this is really tricky because I have a lot of thoughts about my placement of this one, and it jumped around more than any other on the list. No, I agree. My uh, six and five could have flipped easily too. So, um, I mean, my six was Batman Begins, and it's like oh, a oh wow, like a blow to the chest because I. Um, just for the record, I actually think Batman Begins is, and we can save all this discussion for afterward, but I, I think Batman Begins is almost as, it's almost on par with The Dark Knight. For me. Because for me, The Dark, 
Batman Begins is really only missing that Joker element, which is obviously a huge element, but it's really missing that element that not only gives you a great villain, but turns your movie into like a true kind of like crime noir movie. Because Batman Begins has those elements, but it feels like you said when we did the recording, it's an incredible comic book movie and that's how it feels. But I, and I almost put it on par with The Dark Knight, but because it still has that Joker-shaped hole that was not yet filled, I have to place it lower, except normally I would place it right next to The Dark Knight. Um, but everything that comes after was just a toss-up. And so I'll get to all that Wow. Um, when I get there. <laughs> lots of thoughts, lots of thoughts. Lots of thoughts, lots of thoughts. Uh, I'll continue with my list. My number five is Inception. Uh, one of the most creative movies that I think I have ever seen. I don't have many complaints about it. I don't. It, the, like These are toss-ups at this point. Yep. I just think that uh, the movies on above it are maybe a little bit more concise than the rest, than Inception, maybe. Yeah. You know, uh, number four, I went with Batman Begins. Okay. I said this during the Batman Begins podcast, but I think that it is truly like one of the greatest comic book movies ever made. I'm amending it a little. I don't know if it's the greatest comic book movie ever made, especially given some of the movies that have come out recently, like, you know, Endgame and uh, Winter Soldier. Are it's just so good. Up though, there. But, it, but Batman Begins is like really up there. The way it completely turned the comic book movie on its head can't be denied. It changed the genre completely. It really did. And, you know, that movie is dark and yet fun at the same time i yeah it's a great way of putting it so that's my number four my number three is dunkirk that's why i I was shocked at how (laughs) low your dunkirk ranking was i maybe it's because like i said in the dunkirk pod i'm a hit i was a history major and it might just hit my uh affinity for uh historical dramas but like you said, it's one of the most innovative war movies I think I've ever seen. It doesn't have to explain the war. It just puts you in the war. And awesome. for me, that's kind of like what it is about reading history books. I want to learn, but I also want to be immersed. And that's what the movie does for me. Yeah, we had said that easily. it easily could have been the same length as Dark Knight Rises and gone into the in-depth of the war and just taking its time and it could have merited it, but it's, it breezes. And um, I actually had it as my number two last night. And I just, huh, I, and it I was felt that much. Wow. I, uh, I, <laughs> I, like I said, I, I, uh, I just felt horrible about it, but. Um, <laughs> and in a complete opposite of you, I actually really like that. It's lacking the Nolan thumbprint. Sure. I totally understand. The other movies are. I, you know, that's kind of what I like about Insomnia, too. You know, it doesn't have the Nolan thumbprint all over it. There's something something about it that's different. I mean, obviously it is a Nolan film, but it doesn't shout out loud, like, I am a Nolan film. I know. Uh, My number two is The Prestige. Sucks you in from the moment you watch it. It's filled with twists and turns. And I know that, you know, people are probably going to come at me and say, well, 
when you watch Memento, you say you get bored of the editing style. What about the twist in Prestige? How is that number two? You know the twist of the Prestige. Yes, I do. I know the twist of the Prestige. But the twist in the Prestige is different than the twist in Memento. It's different than the editing style in Memento. Every time I watch Prestige, I pick up on something new. And the world around Prestige just feels more full and realized. And again, maybe it's because I am a history buff, but it's also nice being in the early 1900s, not just in London, but in uh, America, dealing with Tesla and his exile from the world around him. It's just fascinating to me. Absolutely. That's my... uh, Five through two. Um, I wonder what your number one is. I'm so curious. I think everyone uh, can do process of elimination at this point. My number five is Interstellar. And that was also in a number two spot last night. So Jesus. Uh, <laughs> That's crazy so, to me. So I, when I said, and, and again, without diving into it, it's when I came out of, I saw Interstellar twice in a 24-hour period in IMAX. And when I walked away that second time, I said, this is Nolan's magnum opus. And to a degree, I kind of still feel that way. I feel like this is the biggest, grandest, um, most expansive thing he'll do um, thematically, I guess you could say spiritually, but mostly in a, in a science, in, a, in the fashion of science fiction. Um, because it takes you so far off of planet Earth and goes into the dimensions it does, I have this connection with it, especially because at the at the beating heart of the film is this connection with his daughter. But this last watch specifically kind of not just hearing your perspective, but just watching it from a step back, seeing the, like I see it as a Kubrick influence. You see it as a Kubrick ripoff. That's fine. And that's like, I think there are people who might agree with both, but it's also, it just hits, it just hits home a lot for me for reasons. I, I kind of can't even explain like emotion. I think it's the most emotional, like I said last time, it's the most emotional that I felt in a Nolan movie, even though the movie is trying to basically shake you and say, feel some emotion. You know what I mean? I can almost feel Nolan reaching out, grabbing my shoulders saying, feel some emotion. But like, I'm like, okay, like I'm completely buying into it. Yeah. Well, um, who am I to tell people how to feel, you know, if, but, oh, I'm just telling, I could tell you how I feel and my but, feelings on the movie is it's very manipulative, but it is good that it hits you home, home for you. Like right. I'm not taking that away from you. No, That's you're amazing. not. You're a, whatever, you're your own supervillain. You can, you're not going to affect me. You know, you're uh, sticks and stones, my friend. You know what I mean? That's fine. Although words can often be very hurtful. Please don't ever hurt anyone with your words. Please. We're better than that. So uh, too late. So these next three all flip-flopped again. Um, these all can, of these were number two as well. <laughs> these can all be a toss-up. <laughs> I basically have my number one, and then it was, actually, <laughs> it was actually number one and two, and the rest were kind of threes. Once I was settled on it, because I feel like it's ridiculous if I don't – just let me just for – for, for the folks at home, whatever ADHD I have is very present right now because this is what I think about on a daily basis. Is, is this movie better than that movie? And why is, is that reason? I obsess over rankings. Uh, That's anyway. why we're friends. <laughs> this is it. This is really just boiled down to... Maybe not this year, given how few movies are coming out, but at the end of the year, just the more behind-the-scenes stuff, at the end of the past like three years that Josh and I have known each other, our top ten lists are like always it's a the, project it's it's the project that kills all of, that kills both of us i'll spend a day writing up a thing 
and I'll write little paragraphs and pictures and stuff and I'll make a whole thing about it. And Robin will be like, why do you spend so much time doing this? And I'm like, it's just, and I'm like, it's not even that I want people to read it or see it. It's that it will like make me feel better inside knowing I've completed it and I, I'm sticking to my guns. And come January 1st of the following year, whatever my list is, that's it. And then if I want to update it, I change it. But I, that's where I release it. That's where well, I say it's. The- it's going to be interesting the end of this year because <laughs> do we count, do we follow the Oscar suit and count movies that come out through February? Or do we make our top 10 list come January 1st? That's a great question. Cause I think that movies, so as I've told you, I go off of the year it came out. And if it's like a foreign film, I'll go the U S release. Like I know you and I have not disagreed, but you and I had different reasonings behind this, but like my placement of portrait of a lady on fire was in my top five of 2019 because I saw it in 2019, even though, cause I it, technically got a u.s release in 2019 although the wide release this is so ridiculous the wide release wasn't until what february of, of this year yeah so if you didn't have access to because it was a limited screening honestly it might be on my top 10 list this year simply because of how few movies have come out this year and you just need desperation for something that's so that's good enough that you can merit it a top honestly 10. that would be my number one right now but <laughs> what other options do you have there are a couple of other options. I, again, I'm probably going to end up cutting this, but Let's I did it, like Invisible Woman, and I don't know if you saw Seven Five Zero Zero. Sorry, Invisible Man. Yeah, that's fine. And did you watch Seven Five Zero Zero, the new uh, Joseph Gordon-Levitt movie on Amazon? No, I didn't even know about it. It's kind of like Invisible Man, where it's like a horror thriller. It's definitely more of a thriller, so yeah. don't go into it expecting a horror movie, but. The, it's a thriller, but the subject matter is horrific. Um, that's good. He directed it or he's in it? He's in it. Oh, okay. I'm, I'm just saying it to my list. Um, it's on Amazon Prime right now. I'm very excited about it. Um, but yeah, when you, I have to sit there and I have to basically um, play Russian Roulette between Birds of Prey and the Emma remake as my number one, I'm sitting there going, I've not had a good year. <laughs> This and is I some like, rough stuff. And I like both those movies, but I digress. Um, let me just backtrack my thoughts. So, yes, I'm obsessed with rankings. This is crazy. Interstellar was number two. It jumped around. The next three are all interchangeable, but I'm just going to do my best here. Um, all right. So, I'm just, yeah, sticking to my guns. Four, Inception. It is arguably – well, you know what it is? It's the most original. The reason I didn't want to do this as a category, it's the most original thing no one's come up with. It's one of the most original movies Completely that anyone agree. has ever come up with. So for that reason alone, I would say it's a top It's a top three. But, like, I'm not going off of numbers. I have to actually split and get, like, line up my emotions here because, like, Inception, Rob and I always argue because for years I was like <sighs> – she's going to laugh when she hears this because – for years, she's like, Inception's the better movie. And I'm like, no, you're wrong. Interstellar's the better movie. And I can, and for ever since Interstellar came out, I was like, how can critics be so mixed on this movie? And then like, looking back, I'm like, oh, I can see why if you just take a step back and look at both movies, why Inception is better. Um, and that's why I'm adding it. It's, it's a more original idea. Uh, it's unique in ways that take g- genuine creativity. I'm not going to not necessarily genius. I do think it's a genius idea, but it's like, it's such a creative idea on, for lack of a better word, so many layers. Um, it's, I've never really seen anything like it to date. And then we have number three is, um, 
So my number three is the Prestige. Okay. Um, I um, I'm a sucker for period pieces, but also the obsessive um, uh, nature, but uh, and the the homoerotic dynamic between these two men who are just trying to one up each other. Um, uh, it's just I can't help but be drawn in. Um, it's just a a movie about it's a about just inspired madness. Um, the lengths that one would take just to outdo the other when the other is just kind of has a very ultimate simple trick. It's Nolan's most meta movie. It is his most self-aware commentary, not just his own filmmaking, but filmmaking in general. When you look at it through that lens, it is brilliant, but it's also like in itself a magic trick, which is why I said when we recorded, it's kind of hard to criticize the movie because it is constantly self-aware about, oh, this is the illusion. This is the trick. A trick is something a whore does for money. You know, it's the stuff like that. Um, the whole idea of obsession is a very human emotion and talking about interstellar that it hits me in a certain way. Prestige doesn't make me feel that same kind of emotion, but I feel that connection where I'm like, I can understand someone obsessing over something that is ultimately not worth obsessing over. And even with the writing on the wall and Tesla and all that. Um, Again, we just got to mention Bowie and that's all I had to add in that. I mean, he's incredible. Um, so this is where you, we'll probably be fighting, but um, my number two, <laughs> my, my number two is actually uh, the Dark Knight. Oh boy! I know it's a, I know, but it's uh, unexpected. Again, I had a quite a night last night. I didn't even. I had a bunch of number twos. Um, the Dark Knight. <laughs> Sorry. Bunch of number twos. Uh, very inappropriate. So disrespectful. Um, took some laxatives, had a bunch of number twos. It's jump. really, it was not a good night. It was not pretty. I don't enjoy doing this. I just, is just part of, you know, who I've become. It's like the closest thing to heat or a, a, a crime noir uh, movie that's just, that's disguised as a Batman movie because it's a movie that's ultimately for everyone. Anyone can watch that movie. It's, it's everything that anyone could want out of a movie. Like, of course, there's people out there who hate the Dark Knight. And a lot of people, as we said when we were recording, it's like, it feels like it's, hipster or it's cool to say that you don't like it and that's fine like i don't that's fine that people feel that way but that, that movie did uh it's it's i don't know it's literally revolutionary it is literally the most influential game-changing comic book movie ever made but it's also something far beyond that uh i think before we say our number ones i we should just run down our list real quick no like conversation just run through our lists one more time <laughs> a lot of commentary going on <clears throat> so uh, just to run down my list one one last time. Number 10, Dark Knight Rises. Number nine, Following. Number eight, Interstellar. Number seven, Memento. Number six, Insomnia. Number five, Inception. Number four, Batman Begins. Number three, Dunkirk. Number two, Prestige. Number 10 is Following. My number nine is Dark Knight Rises. Eight is Insomnia. Uh, Number seven is Dunkirk. Number six, Batman Begins. Number five, Interstellar. Number four, Inception. Number three, The Prestige. And number two is The Dark Knight. All right. And I don't think it's a surprise anymore what my number one is. It is The Dark Knight. Surprise, surprise. Surprise, surprise. Again, like Josh was saying, some people think it's cool to hate on that movie. Fine, go for it. I don't really give a shit. But when it comes down to it, that movie, to me, is just still brilliant it changed comic book movies in a way that no other movie has sure batman begins flipped comic book movies on its head 
but The Dark Knight cemented what a comic book movie can be and how seriously it could be taken. And there is just nothing, I, I, I shouldn't say nothing, but to this day, Heath Ledger's performance as the Joker is by and large one of the greatest movie performances of all time, bar none. Like villain or hero, just as a performance, it is astounding what he does. It's incredible. It is. And whenever people talk about Christopher Nolan to this day, the first movie that comes to your mind is The Dark Knight. Uh, it's a um, basic choice, but it's my choice. No, of course. I mean, I kind of expected it, but also it's just, you know, it's also you're going off of your thoughts about your objective thoughts about what makes it great. I think it's ironic that you have the two Dark Knight movies to end cap Nolan's career. <laughs> There's the that's one true. that's, if you were to watch him, you'd like, hey, you know, like watching him in, in descending order, you're like, hey, this is the worst. It's a Batman movie. Just trust me. And then the best is another Batman movie, but just trust me, you know? It's um, one of those uh, trilogies, and um, we've mentioned it multiple times. You know, I think we don't have to litigate Star Wars again, but it's one of those movies where, the, or Indiana Jones, we can stop on the high note of The Dark Knight and not have to worry about The Dark Knight Rises. It never I, happened. <laughs> I wouldn't say uh, that about either Star Wars or Indiana Jones, but... Um, Indiana Jones, the fourth one, doesn't the fourth, exist. The fourth one. But that's uh, not, what I'm saying. Not, not the third one. Oh, you're saying that they have... Oh, I understand. I'm, I'm saying, sorry. like, each of those... Each of the franchises saga, has... Each a, of those franchises a has final a movie. final movie where it's just like, we can just end it, the movie before. You we know? can just pretend it didn't happen. Star Wars, obviously, I love Return of the Jedi and I love Revenge of the Sith. But if we want to stop at The Last Jedi and not watch Rise of Skywalker, that's probably for the best. You know? I think that's where the uh, we have to do a Star Wars podcast. But that's where that's where the Star Wars franchise ends. It brings everything into one gray area, and it's it leaves a very open ended future. And it's just you know what I'm fine with that being the end of the saga. There's only eight episodes. There you go. Okay, Skywalker saga, eight episodes. Yeah. Um, and I just want to mention one more thing before I give a. Uh, you the mic. You heard something? Again, I picked the movie that I have seen the most out of Nolan's repertoire. And I could probably like recite each line in that movie without actually watching it. You know? So it, that's how I, I know it's good. I just picture uh, someone winning at the Oscars and they're making a speech and the music plays. And then they go to give the mic to someone else and they're like, all right, and for our next award. And then the person runs back they're like, wait, 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 wait. I, I have one more thing to say. Uh, hold on, let me just keep going, please. Just keep go, stop the music for a sec. It wouldn't uh, shock me if that's happened one day. It happened uh, with Moonlight, right? Uh, the music you... cued in and hey, <laughs> La La Land didn't win, Moonlight won. Uh, wait, I love when he flipped the card. He's like, no, really, Moon Moonlight was the winner. But, um, Yes, my number one, of course, uh, for those of you, uh, process of elimination, it's Memento. I'm so sorry. Yeah, yada, yada, yada. Um, I, I just you don't have think, to apologize. Oh, I have to stop apologizing, Stephen. I'm not sorry. I'm sorry that I'm not sorry. Sorry, I'm not sorry. Memento's my number one. All right. You know, I uh, was a film major, unfortunately, a film major who never really did anything with film at this point. And it's just kind of... I remember seeing this giant memento poster in the film classes. Um, it was just always an important, I think it's an important film for someone to see when they're beginning their film journey. 
um, in terms of storytelling, screenwriting, um, and directing. And of course, the way it's shot is unique. It's clever, the black and white against the color. But the storytelling structure of that movie, like you said, and like we said on the recording, which I won't repeat, let's like we've said, just go listen to the episode if you, have, you don't want to hear. But um, uh, it captures that sense of the twist ending that accents everything else that came before it. And like we've, we've kind of debated about it. It's, it reminds me um, of The Sixth Sense where it's like, yeah, it's so reliant on a giant twist ending, but I think the movie itself is so good at what it accomplishes leading up to it, just as a thriller, as a, a mystery, a, a modern day noir. I watched it, it was the last movie I watched in a film noir class. Um, it was in, in college. It was the Big Lebowski memento was how we ended that class. It was pretty, uh, <laughs> it was pretty wild. <laughs> That's so, a good. That's a good double feature. It was great. Um, so even just, uh, I don't know. There's something that's very, uh, there's something very intimate about that movie for me. It's just very. It's because it feels personal. It feels like the beginning. It feels like an introduction to Nolan's career, even though following is the true introduction. I don't know. I just think that um, it's a great introduction to Nolan. It's a great introduction to filmmaking, um, and just as a story, I've never really seen a structure quite like it. Um, yeah, and I had the, like I said, the last time I watched it, I had the best experience I had watching it, which was the reverse that I had with a lot of these other movies. Which holds true uh, in my heart. It's, uh, can't explain it, but that's it. I'm going for it. The old, uh, the old Guy Pierce classic. And that, uh, <laughs> that uh, concludes our uh, ranking. So I think it's time to go into our final, final Nolan thoughts. You want to go for it? Yeah, I feel like because I just could, like I said, I'd, I'd just be a filibuster. I don't want to just talk people to death. I feel like I want to have a, like a open-ended conversation. I guess just I feel like, into quote South Park, you know, I learned something today. Um, <laughs> Back I really when they did that, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I learned something today. Those and, young viewers of this uh, podcast probably don't remember those days of South oh, Park unless they started from the beginning. We really sound like old men. Um, but, you know, when I, if I learned something, it's that it's just the tropes are present. And I would say in a much different way, and not necessarily comparing, like I'm saying it's better or as good, but like Nolan puts his, like you said, a thumbprint on his filmography in the way that uh, like Quentin Tarantino or Spielberg do. Um, he has achieved, despite what anyone wants to say about his movies, he's achieved a style. Um, and he kind of earned it pretty quickly. I'd say like by Batman Begins, like his movie started having a very steady flow of just, oh, it, it looks and feels like a Nolan movie. Um, there are certain uh, sobering, eye-opening experiences I had watching these movies again. And it's what you and I've talked about in many different ways about getting older as a film goer is that you let you lose some of the emotional connection that you once felt when you watched these movies. Um, there's something about us getting older and I'm craving the more cynical or darker side of cinema because it's just like, it speaks to who you become as you get older. There's something about Nolan's movies that like, I, yeah, of course they're for people of all ages, but they're really, there's something that I can imagine someone discovering all these movies at like 16, 17, like let's say if they're really just budding into the film industry emotionally that they'll tap into something that they're feeling when they watch these movies because of how technologic, technologically advanced they are and how the production value is top-notch across the board, how the sets that he builds, the fact that he avoids CGI. He kind of 
harks back to traditional filmmakers that he goes out of his way to make his movies look a certain way and feel a certain way. And that is something that is, I'm not saying it's childish, but it's childlike in the sense that it captures a style that's admirable to anyone who's entering the world of film for the first time. In a sense, this is what I'm realized. And I realized that while we were, while we were doing these episodes is that this truly is, in my opinion, the best introduction to film in a sense of giving people something that's modern enough. You're not boring them. You're not, you're not boring the ignorant people with a, a, a black and white uh, or, or, or silent ironically, film. Ironically, he starts with a black and white film, though. Which is ironic, but also... Um, and ironic because he's colorblind. <laughs> even more ironic. Um, and yet, like, it's just like there are so many other filmmakers that I think are more in-depth and they're um, uh, technically more talented and their films are, are... They hit me much different and they're much better experiences for me. So to look back at Nolan, who I love, I have a great affection for because I've been following him, his career, for, for lack of a better word, following um, for, you know, since I was in early high school, whenever it was. I mean, I don't know. But and so even though I admire him, I'm seeing these realities of how I really feel about him. Um, but I'm not like upset about it because I still look at these movies with admiration. Um, it's just very strange to look at it because I feel like I'm watching him from behind the curtain. I'm watching him from a step back. Um, in a sense, it's made me excited to move forward to see what else is out there because, and I'm sure you'll have a lot to say about this, but this has been an overwhelming experience. Uh, <laughs> to say the this, least. This has been, uh, I guess, about, what, 12 weeks now we've been doing this? Uh, 11, 12 weeks, something like that. It's a long time to be stuck in the world of a man who's so again stylistically very creative and very inventive but he's very dramatic for lack of a better word very serious um and that's his whole point there's nothing bad to say about that but it is been, it's exhausting so um it's a good it's been a good it's been a good roller coaster <laughs> <laughs> but please um, um tell me your thoughts so uh I compiled my notes into a single document. Oh, man. <laughs> and cumulatively, it was 150 pages of notes. Um, I, I don't understand. 150 pages? Yeah. Like, my notes of each movie compiled. Oh. Oh, okay. I understand. Like, well, as I was watching the movies, I compiled notes as I was watching the movies. And cumulatively... It equates to 150 pages. Good grief. That so, quarantine life, man. That's that quarantine life. That's treating you well. So in that regard, I have to say, let's start with the, the negative aspects first here. I, I mentioned this earlier in the podcast, but there was a point by uh, the end of Inception, beginning of Interstellar, where... Josh and I felt just very drained by the intensity at which this man films. And I can't knock him for being intense because he, that's his whole thing. But at the same time, I feel like his intensity is a little much sometimes on and off camera 
you know, I mentioned this before in one of the podcasts. I don't remember if it got cut or not, so I'll just mention it again. Sometimes his off, sometimes his persona in real life is just a little too pretentious for me. I, it's great that he shoots on film. It's great that he does things practically. And it's impressive that he does all that stuff. But it's also one of these things where he sometimes has a superiority complex because of what he does. And because of his superiority complex, I feel as though he puts other filmmakers down because they do not do what he does. And and I don't think it's necessarily fair. You know, not everyone can shoot on film. Not everyone can do things practically because not everyone has the budgets or time that he is given. You know, we mentioned at one point that he has a very strong hold over Warner Brothers right now. He, can, he has the ability to tell a studio, no, I want my movie to come out at this time. And the studio obliges because he is Christopher Nolan. Yeah. Now, let's transition that into something good about him. The reason he is able to have such a stronghold over the studios is because he is such a profound director. He has done, he is arguably one of the best filmmakers working right now, in my opinion. I said it's fair. He again what i just said in a negative way he shoots things practically and you know all that stuff but it is a great thing because his movies are different than everyone else's his the production design is impeccable the editing is impeccable what he does is astounding now the past couple movies dunkirk aside you know, I'm not a huge fan of Dark Knight Rises or Interstellar, but I can't take away the, you know, huge, profound influence that they had or just how beautiful they are. Interstellar, for all its flaws, is a beautiful, a beautifully shot movie. So I guess I walk away from Nolan with more complicated feelings than when I started, but that's just makes it all the more interesting to me. You know, he's an interesting filmmaker with a lot to say. And I'm going to continue to go to each one of his movies opening night, maybe not Tenant because of COVID, but if when there's a not a world pandemic, I will see all of his movies opening night. <laughs> with the exception, you know. With the exception. Of a global pandemic. I will see all of his movies opening night or at least opening weekend. Yeah. He's that kind of director. Yeah. He's so, an event he's an event filmmaker, as I say. It's um He's an event filmmaker, but he's different than than most event filmmakers because you can argue that any Marvel movie is now an event film. Sure. Yeah. But I'm not walking away from most Marvel movies saying that I experienced something new. No, of course not. Yeah or profound like i didn't walk away from captain marvel and go okay that's something brand new i you mean know? yeah change tone you know what i mean that's 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 great. i mean i guess it had a female protagonist but you know dc did that with wonder woman but the only i guess 
end game, I walked away going, holy shit. But that's I'm, just because it's a different scale. That's a different yeah. beast. It's, it's also a totally different kind of event because like you're talking about like um, a franchise versus a specific person's uh, vision, which you're still going to show up to both an opening weekend because that's the whole idea of it being an event movie. It's the same reason we went to Rise of Skywalker opening weekend, even no matter how much we try and mind wipe them, you know, from our heads, it's uh, still there. No, but, but you mentioned franchises and yeah. something that's impressive with Nolan is sure he made a whole, he made a franchise. He made the Dark Knight trilogy. And whatever we want to say about it, it was his trilogy. He made the movie he wanted. He made exactly the, movies the way he, he wanted, wanted to make. And he was able to fight off DC and Warner Brothers who wanted to integrate his universe into their own. He told them to fuck off. Yeah. When they when they wanted Christian Bale to be in their Justice League project in 2000 seven i think it was when they were mm -hmm. doing the justice league dark yeah nolan said no yeah you know it, he didn't like the idea it's ironic because he like he, he made a franchise like you said with just a trilogy and yet he didn't want to cater to expanding his universe he didn't want it to go into mythology or fantasy he just wanted to stick to his guns and made exactly what he wanted to make despite how much he actually wanted to do dark Knight rises or not <laughs> yeah um, i again they kind of pushed him into that one. But regardless, he was able to fend off the integration into a different world. In fact, he started a whole new DCEU with Man of Steel to avoid having his Batman integrated into that one. Exactly. And we probably, uh, I mean, for better or worse, a lot of people worse, but I mean, whatever. It's I, We probably wouldn't even have, like you said, like Batman, um, sorry, The Dark Knight, uh, affected all comic book movies after um, on accident. You know, it kind of like, or, or like you said, like, or, or paraphrasing, but like it ruined comic book movies after, on not on purpose, but um, like we wouldn't even have the DCEU or Man of Steel to kick off the DCEU without his movies. You know what I mean? Like, or without him. He was a yeah. producer on both of those movies, and his right. wife was, uh, I think she was a producer through Justice League, though right. I wouldn't really i don't know how much of a part she had to play in justice league i mean at that point the franchise kind of takes itself into its own hands but i mean it's really i remember the man of steel trailers it's like from director Zack snyder and uh visionary producer or whatever it's like producer of the dark knight trilogy chris renault like his name was all over the trailer because they want to let you know he was involved in some way even if not creatively um he's just um he's had an influence you know what i mean he's been influential and He's a powerhouse director, and yeah. his power is big, is greater than even those who are considered powerhouse directors. Sure. You know, like you mentioned Tarantino earlier. Sure, Tarantino is considered like someone at the top of his game, but his movies don't make the money that Nolan's movies do. Exactly. His you know, movies, almost all of his movies have become known blockbusters yeah yeah Where i mean maybe that's just because of the different kinds of movies nolan and tarantino make well but... exactly that's why i was saying with like him like catering to everyone where even like we've said like um what was it like hateful eight um yeah. bomb, bombed at the box office you know what i mean and i mean you know how i feel about that movie i love that movie but it's also like it 
it comes. I'm glad you do. (laughs) I'm glad that you acknowledge that I do. It's just, uh, but it's become this conversation of where does the art bleed into the mainstream? And he's kind of one of those rare directors who he kind of gives a little, a little bit to everyone because you can still like get the film people who are like, oh, so well shot. And then you just get the everyday people who are like, oh, that was just a cool movie. You know what I mean? Like you can- In a weird way, he kind of blends Kubrick and Spielberg together. That's a good way of putting it. His movies are as intricate as stuff, maybe not as intricate, but they're almost as intricate as stuff that Kubrick would make, but with the mass appeal of a Spielberg movie. Yeah, he's somehow he somehow hit that sweet spot right in the middle where, and maybe that's what people who are really in depth in film feel like he's lacking. Because like we said, I think from the one of the first episodes that there's a fan base out there who just hates Chris Renault. There's people out there who think he's a uh, he's a crock. You know what I mean? And and I get it because I can see how if you're really versed in the world of like art house independent films, how you could look at Nolan's movies and be like, oh, they're just like big. It's giant, uh, big budget uh, schlock. You know what I mean? They're like, where's the art? Where's this and that? And like, I just feel like there are just the people in the middle ground who can be like, yeah, I love whatever my artsy fartsy films, but I also love my blockbusters. And like, I just his movies kind of live in that center world that I think, like you just said, Spielberg and uh, Kubrick. Uh, that's that's a that's a great comparison because that's how it feels. So. Uh, I think that moving forward, I think we've had a great experience doing this. I've had a great experience because I've, I've always wanted to just jump into watching a filmmaker's career from the beginning. And I think it's been pretty cool to actually do that uh, as exhausting as it's been. I'm no, and it's, it was fascinating watching him go from following to Dunkirk. He's come a long, long He's come a very long way. He's and come a long, long way. That was probably the most exciting part about this whole experiment of whose filmography is it anyway yeah uh so i guess that's a good spot to end on our final thoughts i agree i i I do like i mean we'll we'll have to leave this off by saying that we will have to cover tenant um be it and we can figure this out off the air but we uh, be it when we see it in the theaters or uh later when we have a release where we can script it we'll have to figure that out well, I don't even know when we're going to get to see it because now uh, Cuomo said that movie theaters are not opening in phase four. Oh, jeez. <laughs> so we don't even know when movie theaters are opening now. But we need to leave this episode off by saying to be continued because we're going to have to revisit Tenet. It's, after all this, it's, we owe it to ourselves. We owe it to the people. No, I definitely want to touch Tenet. It's just a matter of when, when? we do not know. so josh and i would like to say what our next topic will be uh so drum roll please (laughs) wes anderson movies there you go folks roll your eyes (laughs) josh and i figured what's the complete opposite of christopher nolan and who else was expecting a big release this year but yes what will give us a different breath of fresh air but indie the indie hipster master himself, Mr. Owen Wilson, Mr. Bill Murray, Mr. Uh, Ed Norton. Willem uh, Dafoe. Mr. Willem Dafoe. Tilda Swinton. <laughs> uh, yes, Wes and all his friends. I'm very excited to uh, 
uh, reunite with them. It's been a minute. No, you said it perfectly uh, two seconds ago. It's a breath of fresh air. Oh, it's... um. As I on. was saying in the <laughs> beginning of my uh, final thoughts, Nolan got very dark and dour toward the end. I'm not saying that Wes Anderson doesn't touch on heavy topics, but he definitely does it with a much lighter flair. He does, and that's... Oh, he hits different. Do you want to give a Nolan pick? Because I just want to say to watch Insomnia. I'm just going to say it on the record. <laughs> because I feel like anyone, not just listening to this, but the Nolan fans out there, even the diehard ones, probably haven't actually watched it. All Out of all of them, I'd say, I mean, I, I know following is more of like, it feels more like a student film, but I feel like even a, most of the fans have seen Memento, and I just feel like up until we talked about it, I never really heard anyone talk about Insomnia, so. Now, Insomnia is definitely the lost child of all of his uh, <laughs> filmography. Give it a chance. Give it a chance. If we're going to pick a Nolan movie as our pick of the week, I'll say just watch The Prestige. That's probably the second lost child within his uh, filmography. Just watch The Prestige. They're wizards in the 1800s. I mean, come on. There's there's so much to take away from. I really, It's really something. But yes, go if, instead of re-watching the ones you've seen over and over, go watch The, the Lost Children. Go uh, take care of those redheaded stepchildren. They need <laughs> They need love too. Um, all right, Stephen, it has been an absolute pleasure. Yes, yeah, it has been. I think this is where we will wrap up this episode of Whose Filmography Is It Anyway? Absolutely. As always, you could follow me on Instagram at Mr. Filmart. Still as... working on uh, <laughs> that Instagram Getting that page. Instagram page up. Hmm? Still working on that page. Got the uh, pros and cons, cons and pros. Maybe some friends nice become enemies, enemies, enemies become friends. Nice yeah. little you know the book you're working on? Yeah, yeah it's going to be great. Yeah, you're going to love it. Yeah, you're going to love it. Uh, yeah, so enjoy a Nolan film, and we'll see you next time where we will cover Wes Anderson's Bottle Rocket. Thank you.